Hello and welcome to the Money Marketing Podcast. In this episode, we talk about how advisors can spot vulnerability among clients, as well as what they should be doing to help clients in vulnerable circumstances. Hello, I'm Lois Valley, Chief Reporter for Money Marketing, and on this episode of the podcast, I am joined by Hannah Coffey, who is Vulnerability and Client Assistance Manager at St. James's Place, and Zoe Taylor, who is Chartered Financial Planner at Lawrence Neal Wealth Management, which is a senior partner practice of St. James's Place. And Zoe was um, awarded Vulnerability Champion of the Year at SJP's Chartered Symposium this year. So congratulations, Zoe. Thank you. And hello to you both. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, So perhaps you could start off just by introducing yourselves and saying a bit about how you got into financial services. Um, So as I introduced you first, Hannah, perhaps you could start. Sure, of course. Yeah. So um, I'm, of course, Hannah Coffey. I've I've been at uh, St. James's Place for six, coming up seven years, I think it is now. And um, that was my first role in in, in financial services, and, and I've clearly not left. <laughs> um, I have, however, had um, a couple of different roles, and I started this particular role looking at uh, vulnerable clients and and what we needed to do to make sure that our um, partners, the likes of Zoe, of course, were able to look after their um, clients in vulnerable circumstances in about December 20, um, ready and kind of geared up for the final release of the um, vulnerable consumer guidance that came out from the FCA in 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, My role is kind of predominantly to provide, how do I sum this up, sort of coaching um, and development support for financial advisors so that they know you know where they stand and, and how to support clients in vulnerable circumstances and I do that very much on a, on a one-to-one basis of course to do the coaching etc and in terms of education that's to to a much wider group so I think SJP's got roughly and, and don't quote me on this about well, you are quoting me on this, so I hope nobody <laughs> tells me off. Um, roughly 5,000, probably just shy of 5,000 um, partners and advisors out there. So we do a lot of um, online learning, like I think most companies will do um, monthly, what we call vulnerability masterclasses, podcasts. Um, you know, I'm jo- we're joining you here today, but we, we have a podcast that I run in SJP too. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have, you know, we we created a new vulnerability policy in SJP that 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 um goes across the group. So, you know, includes the likes of Rowan Dartington and our admin centre, etc. We've also, of course, got um fact sheets that, that are really helpful in, in a client um vulnerability circumstance that, that helps, you know, the partners and um advisors identify vulnerability. And what I think is really important that, that we're focusing on quite heavily at the moment is that point where advisors are able to draw a line and actually refer on to a an external charity or an organization that is potentially better placed to support on the um, emotional or, or physical kind of symptoms of, of a particular particular vulnerability so that's me I guess from a head office point of view and Zoe is of course um part of our partnership so Zoe shall I shall I hand over to you and it's your turn now to see what 
what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I came in a bit of an unorthodox route, actually. So I've been with SGP for about eight years now. Um, prior to that, I had a varied <laughs> set of careers, really. Um, I was in a travel agent for some time. I was management um, there as well. And then I had a property company where we had um, we would clean and monitor furniture holidays of all the things. Um, and while I, that was kind of supplementing my exams in financial services, so I, I quickly fell in love with it. I had to leave the travel agents when I had a baby. Um, their flexible working policy wasn't what we would like today. Um, and at that point, I went and got a job in administration for a local financial advisor. Decided I really liked this, um, spat all the exams. And eight years later, here I am, a fellow and um, very much loving working with clients, kind of the at the middle age, you know, that sort of 40 to 60 years where they're sandwiched between tons of responsibilities. They might have, you know, parents going into care. They might have kids that are trying to get on the property ladder. They might be trying to retire themselves. So lots of responsibility, lots of change. Um and just generally a lot going on. So my kind of my real passion is helping these people to navigate all of life's interesting twists and turns. And to do so, it has made me really mindful that all of that additional stress and all of these unfamiliar situations, particularly um, long term care, um, for, for my clients has been quite a, an eye opening experience um, and something that we went through personally as a family. So that. That has made me really passionate about sort of understanding vulnerability, working out how we can best support people and recognising that it's not in one straightforward area. You know, it's not just because of your age or just because you've got a health condition. It's so multifaceted now. We're, we're much more aware of what goes on. So, yes, that's kind of my my background and um, what I'm trying to achieve, really, with these kind of podcasts. I think it's great that we can raise awareness like this. Perfect. Zoe, Thank you, you seem to have sorry, Zoe, you seem to have missed a, a perfect opportunity there to talk about the fact that you won an award in SJP quite recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And again, it was all tied into the same work. So like a lot of financial advisors, you start um, getting involved in things that you're passionate in. So I started out doing um, the Society of Late Life Advisors accreditation and I joined up for the Financial Vulnerability Task Force. If you haven't already, go and check that out. That's worth a look. Um, because I enjoyed the long-term care element and understanding all of those things that go on with that. Um and then personally, we had um, a situation in the family where my granddad um, went into care with quite advanced Alzheimer's and something that previously I'd always thought was quite black and white, you know, we're financial, black and white, tax rule kind of people, lots of us. And I thought it would be just really straightforward, you know, you just do X, Y, Z and, you know, the care was arranged, you know, problem solved. But actually the attorneys were my mother-in-law and her brother and they had very different approaches to each other and they were struggling massively. And when it's your family and it's your emotions and, you know, the <laughs> it becomes very personal, it is much harder to make these decisions that you think are black and white. Um, so on the back of that, I did SJP um, teamed up with Boston University to do um, the master's degree course, which, again, if you're part of SJP and you want to look at, it is a brilliant thing to do to, to not only distinguish yourself from other advisors to show you're going that extra mile, 
but also to, to show some clients that you really get it. You know, you you are academic, you you understand um, more about what goes on in the wider world. Um, and there I did this master's degree where it focused very much on people's decision making around long term care. Um, again, totally eye-opening. So yeah, the the award was such a lovely validation of all of the work that I've done around vulnerability and vulnerable clients and trying to better understand and make myself better as an advisor and a better human <laughs> for that matter. Um so yeah, it was all part of the, of this whole journey and it's been it's been interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds great. Um so as everyone's probably gathered, we are talking about vulnerability today, um, primarily. So I thought maybe it might be helpful to talk a bit about what vulnerability actually means. So you already mentioned, you know, that it's multifaceted. It doesn't just mean um, old age or it doesn't just mean illness. So um, what are your thoughts on, yeah, the meaning of vulnerability? Yeah, so from our, you know, from my point of view, from the research that we've done with the master's course, the, the FCA in particular in, in 2020, I believe, brought out a, a huge body of work all about vulnerability. And they talked about the certain characteristics that we needed to consider. So things like um, health, um, which, you know, and age and understanding, but also things like experience and um, capacity to to absorb all of this information. So financial advisors in particular and the financial services industry as a whole are in such a, a unique position where the, the complexity of the financial products we offer, the potential that people can enter into like irrevocable commitments, things like immediate needs annuities or pension annuities that can't be changed later on, all combined with clients making decisions, uh, potentially, you know, time pressured, emotional, heightened responses in the way that they think and react to things could have massively serious and long term impacts financially, but also, you know, from a mental health point of view, from like a quality of care point of view it's so difficult um making sure that people really actually are understanding or whether their ability to understand is being hampered by something else that's going on in that world so when you kind of when you put all of this together and when you look at the fact that it can be so multifaceted you can have all these different areas some of which will overlap you could have a client that's got um you know a, a health issue combined with the fact that they have never dealt with their pension before you know the statements yeah. have gone in a drawer we all hear that quite a lot and you know and their mum and dad are going to a care home you know when you pile all of that into one place are they really in a good place to be taking on board our complex financial literature and really comprehending what these decisions mean in their life well possibly not um and in the FCA's survey that I mentioned back in 2020, they identified that around 46% of adults of our clients that we're dealing with will be displaying at least one of these characteristics at any given time, wow. which means that, you know, vulnerability isn't this one-off thing that we need to be mindful of for over 80s. It is actually every day. It's in, you know, probably half of the clients we sit in front of will have some form of vulnerable characteristic that we maybe need to be mindful of or, you know, documenting or being more careful to uh, to be giving information that is likely to be received properly and understood. So yeah, it's everywhere. It's, it's really such an important aspect of our job now. Yeah, no, definitely. It's interesting as well, because I don't know, um, 
because uh, I've written about um, other sectors as well, energy and water, and there was always a lot of talk about vulnerable customers, especially in um, energy, because obviously, you know, if customers can't pay their bills, they'll get cut off from having any electricity or gas. And it's I always found it interesting that the number or the low number of people who would actually self-identify as vulnerable. And so it's very difficult for, in this case, the energy and water companies to actually have any idea of how many vulnerable customers they might be serving. So I imagine it's similar in financial advice. You know, people might not necessarily think of themselves as in vulnerable circumstances. So it's sort of on the financial advisor to recognize vulnerability in an even bigger way, I'd imagine. Anna, did you have any thoughts on what vulnerability yeah, actually means? Totally. I mean, so just to kind of um, recap, I guess, it, it's worthwhile kind of talking about how the FCA defined vulnerability, because, of course, they started this whole thing off. So they talk yeah. about a vulnerable client being someone who, due to their personal circumstances, is especially susceptible to harm, particularly when a firm is not acting with appropriate levels of care. And I think Zoe picked that up there. So, you know, for me, what's kind of obviously really important to me working for St. James's Place is that it kind of puts it back on us, doesn't it? It says, you know, when a firm isn't acting with appropriate levels of care. So what does that mean? And how do we make sure that we do act with appropriate levels of care? And that's what Zoe really picked up on when she said, you know, making sure that a client understands what they're getting themselves into, particularly if it's not something that can be easily undone. Mm. Um, now, I think, you know, the way we operate in the way we have partners and advisors like Zoe out, out uh, seeing clients means that we're in a really good place to make sure that clients do understand the advice they're getting. It's not kind of what we would call execution only where it's online and you're not speaking with an advisor. Mm. Um, but so you've also mentioned um, that that kind of, you know, roughly 50% of the UK population, uh, the FCI identified as um, them and themselves having identified a vulner- uh, characteristic of vulnerability. Mm. But, you know, of course, no, none of us really like the idea of being termed vulnerable. So we probably wouldn't want to tell anybody else that we think we're vulnerable. And therefore, we often really don't want to see ourselves as vulnerable either. Now, what's quite tricky is, yes, some clients will very naturally and comfortably tell their financial advisor what's going on. But you're quite right. Do financial advisors won't necessarily see that if a client doesn't want to share this information with them. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's a tricky line to walk, isn't there? Um, and I guess, you know, Zoe's probably better place to answer this or she'll, she'll tell us how she does it, but it's engaging with clients in the right way. So creating that transparency, that comfortable, safe space and, and, and that really important relationship between the financial advisor themselves and the client that means that we can talk about all of these, you know, potential or actual characteristics of vulnerability that we might be facing and you know that those vulnerability characteristics are vast that you know from from any kind of life event you know what the kind of avoidable unavoidable sorry circumstances like a bereavement um to circumstances like retiring of course because that's unavoidable too having you know, if you have children, them going into um, 
school and nursery and 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 having to pay for you know this or or children to be looked after while you're going to work funding them to go to university these kinds of things are all in the natural sort of um life cycle hmm. and then you've got of course um health concerns physical or, or mental and then what's really important to me i think is um resilience so how capable you are of dealing with uh, extra stress in your personal resilience but also of course in your financial resilience and any um, investments that you've made with a financial advisor too mm, yeah definitely um so i'm interested in um sort of how you identify vulnerability in clients if you know have you um come across clients who don't necessarily want to sort of define themselves as vulnerable but you feel they are in vulnerable circumstances Oh, often. Actually, yeah, it comes up more than um, more than I suppose you would hope. Unfortunately, you know, in this day and age, it it is everywhere, and there's 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 a few things. We're we're quite lucky. We're in quite a privileged position because we go and see our clients. You know, at least once a year, sometimes more for people who need a bit of extra support. It is easier to tell you know, if there's been a change, if there's a change in demeanour, if there's a change in, you know, in some cases, financial use, that kind of thing, if there's a change in physical possessions in the house, you know, the the better you know people, the easier it is to notice these changes, which is why going and seeing people and, you know, being in regular contact is so important in our role. Um, But also, there's a bit of an education piece for me so where people maybe don't want to admit things because it's um it's they feel like they're the only people in the world you know going through this sometimes I will start a conversation that kind of is a bit of a general educational statement you know and I might say things like oh you know uh, have you seen these new statistics about Alzheimer's and the way that they are you know being treated you know or something completely general that is very much to do with whatever it is that's going on in their world um you know it could be you know there's a lot of scams going around you know all of these things where you open a conversation that's not directly specific to the client but you are very much driving at an educational point or at you know making them feel safe to talk about things because you are making it known that this happens and that you can talk about it and that there are things that can be done education is massive um actually and i think when there's the slightest suspicion if you can open a conversation and you've got enough natural trust with that client we can we're in such a place where we can make a big difference with the right signposting and the most, you know, appropriate identification of things. We can really help people, which is why it has to be acknowledged. And we have to create these conversations sometimes to to draw information out of people who otherwise maybe wouldn't want to tell you things. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. It sounds almost like therapy in a way, <laughs> or not quite, <laughs> but close to it. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. You know, our job is very much not just black and white financial anymore. It does involve a lot more kind of coaching and understanding and emotional intelligence. You know, it's massive now. It's not just having the right bit of paper that says you can talk about investments. You have to be open and wanting to listen. You know, we have to create space for people to talk and tell us things because every house is different. And the more appointments you do, the more you realise that whatever's going on in their world is just as important as whatever financial topic that you happen to be talking about. They're two halves of the same whole. Mm, yeah, definitely. 
Um, so I know, obviously, we had the COVID pandemic um, went on for ages, it seems like. And then after the following that, I've heard anecdotally that, you know, more people are suffering with mental health um, issues who might not necessarily have before or certainly it seems to have um, increased the recognition of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. And now, yeah, you know, we're in this cost of living crisis, which I think is just making things worse. Um, and I just wondered, obviously, that's not the only vulnerability. As we've discussed, there's lots of different um, definitions of or different aspects of vulnerability. Um, so we've already touched on it a little bit. Um, but what are some of the key things that financial advisors should be doing or some of the other key things that financial advisors should be doing to help clients in vulnerable circumstances? Um, I don't know who wants to start. Maybe. Um, I'll, I'm taking this one, am I? OK, no problem. Um, so, uh, Lois, yes, you're right. You know, it does seem like more people are struggling with mental health um, than they have done previously. And I'm not clinical in any way, but, you know, sometimes I wonder to myself, is that because more people really are struggling? Is it because more people are comfortable in in sharing that, that, mm. that they're struggling and so it's talked about more which I actually think can only be a good thing <laughs> but undeniably you know you've gone from uh covid and, and and the covid pandemic to you know inflation issues um and I, I will miss bits and pieces out here so I don't mean to um, belittle any kind of circumstance but then of course you've got you know the issues with um, Ukraine and, and Russia to at one point I think we were all petrified that monkeypox was going to be a thing and that seems to have just yeah. disappeared straight into the cost of living crisis it's not um, the, the news isn't fun particularly or and very rarely light-hearted anymore is it and I think that impacts people you know an awful lot um, what can we do to help? I think for me, and you know, Zoe will obviously have examples with specific clients, I guess, perhaps to share with us. But for me, it's not making sure that you don't, as a financial advisor in any way, kind of belittle mm. uh, any concern. You know, anybody can be worried about anything just because it doesn't necessarily you know, COVID might not worry me anymore. It doesn't mean it doesn't worry my sister, say. And, you know, we're as close to like-minded individuals as you're really going to get. So no one circumstance will affect two individuals in exactly the same way. So if somebody is worried about something or wants to talk about something, make sure you give them the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, jumping straight into to finances, although that's ultimately what we're there as financial advisors, um, you know, to help people with might not be the best idea, you know, listen to what's worrying them, perhaps where their mind is, you know, in the here and now or what they're aiming for in, in the long term future. And kind of really getting to understand that person, because that might ultimately help your, you know, judgment in terms of investments and, and, and how they, you know, deal with their finances, I think. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, Zoe, yeah. did you have anything to add on? Um, yeah, key things financial advisors should be doing, considering the current climate we're in. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And sometimes people take you <laughs> by surprise. So I went to see one of my um, 
well say the clients you know you would you would class her as a worst client I suppose um she lives very modestly lives you know a very modest comfortable life that most of us would you know would dream of I suppose with plenty mm. of of assets at her disposal and I, you know I see her regularly I went to see her the other day we were going for lunch she said before we go can I just um can I just ask you something I said yeah she said what would happen you know if I if I went into a care home would, would all my money go mm. And and I think that fear of the unknown, actually, all these sort of variables that we can't control, outside influences, sometimes the media is not very jolly. And um, so, you know, especially when you talk about things like care, et cetera, the, the rhetoric, I suppose, of everyone you talk to and the concerns in the papers and the lack of the cap, for example, all of these unknown variables that we have absolutely no control over makes people feel really uncomfortable. So for me, I think adding some tangible evidence just to either argue, not argue, but, you know, to, to show otherwise and to provide reassurance. So for her, we did some stress testing. So we, we plugged in our assets and we put in the worst case scenario and we worked out, you know, the most expensive care home in the area we could find. And we were able to like really tangibly demonstrate that, you know, in pretty much any circumstance with any market crash, you know, with a bit of stress testing, even going into a care home and increasing your expenses, you know, six grand a month and all of these other things we could actually quantify that no you really have absolutely nothing to worry about like you cannot run out of money <laughs> under almost any circumstance so sometimes just by kind of facing that head on and being able to give a tangible you know reasoning for why that that concern although it's valid you don't need to worry about the reassurance is massive for clients and I think sometimes we forget because it feels kind of obvious to us like you go well of course you've got loads of money you know mm-hmm. that's yeah. not really substantial enough to make somebody feel massively better so using all these tools we have at our disposal to forecast things to show income to you know to offset inflation to to do that and give a properly quantified evidenced answer is really reassuring so I left that meeting and she just was like her weight is lifted and she said I know I'm being silly I can see I've been really silly I bet you can't believe I asked that question and I said well no it's not silly because it was real it was real to you in the moment and when you get yourself worked up and you you know you feel that way you can't help how you feel but yeah being able to try and quantify some of that uncertainty and give some actual you know evidence-based things is really nice those tools are really cool as well because of course they create images as well so thinking about how different people take on information some people might struggle just hearing it or looking at figures where was you know like Zoe saying the graph will show you the ups and the downs and the nuances of all those stress testing and actually clients being able to walk away with that it's something to literally hold on to isn't it and I think that really helps a lot yeah, definitely. No, I, I would always say imagery really helps me and <laughs> to visualize something. So yeah, yeah, I can totally see. Um, I did want to ask actually, well, you've kind of already covered it. Um, but um obviously technology is development is really ramping up and I just wanted to ask how technology can help with both identifying vulnerability but also um advising clients in vulnerable circumstances. Yeah, so if I pick up with um, identifying vulnerability initially then Mm -hmm. there are um, quite a few tools being created in the industry that take I guess the ownership off the financial advisor if the financial advisor feels it's too big a step 
from financial advice into a kind of clinical world in terms of identifying and, and almost labeling a client as vulnerable although you know as we've said I probably wouldn't tell anybody particularly that you're calling them vulnerable mm. um and they you know most of them run kind of really super simplistically um like a decision tree would you remember back in the day in magazines it would sort of you know you would go down a yes no path and you'd follow them into all of the different boxes to see oh, yeah. I don't know what star sign you ended up being for example <laughs> yeah. you know this is you know whether you're vulnerable or not vulnerable I guess at the end of it and and those kinds of tools are you know a really good idea for financial advisors if they're struggling and, and they don't know um what to do how to identify vulnerability how to record it and ultimately therefore how to respond to it mm. and uh, SJP have worked quite closely with two in particular um Comentis and uh, Morgan Ash mm-hmm. so that might be a worthwhile thing to dig into and have a bit of a google if you're a financial advisor who wants some um technological help in terms of actually helping clients then um and you know i think we've got a bit of a i think we've got a bit of a way to go on this but you know how your how websites are set out you know were they are they easy to navigate are online payments easy to navigate that's obviously a huge one are looking at your wealth accounts on online as we call it easy to look at and sjp's done quite a bit of development there getting things like um voiceovers so technology that will read through any information that's presented online rather than somebody necessarily having to read it online because some people might find that quite difficult with really kind of important uh lengthy and 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 uh, technical kind of content yeah is, is probably something to really um think about obviously we've talked about imagery and and that's you know really cool good thing to put in front of clients whether you're doing that on your laptop or you know I'm sure some advisors take iPads and what have you with them Mm. um can I think of anything else Zoe do you have any other kind of technology bits that you use with clients um oh we've missed a really obvious one what we're doing now online you know you don't now have to drive four hours to go and see a client do you You can speak to them on teams and zoom and I think that's a game changer for the industry you know I would I would I don't think having a phone call with a client to do a full review meeting is ever the best idea because you miss so much in people's face and you know how they express themselves and their movements and whether they're guarded about things but being able to see them online now like we are I I think is totally brilliant Hmm. Do you know, I completely agree, actually. And I think because it feels like a real <laughs> review meeting and you can mm. read body language, being, you know, having the tech that you can say, well, I'm still going to come and see you every year, but every quarter we'll just have a, you know, a 20 minute Zoom call and we'll just have a catch up. You know, that is just so lovely. And that regular contact, I believe, is really important anyway because you pick up so much more and if somebody's suddenly going to start, you know, some of my older, older clients might... You know, I'm always worried about financial abuse and these kind of things. And you do hear stories where someone's suddenly come into somebody's life and all of this, you pick up, so, you know, a lot can change in a year. And if you can have more frequent, what's still really meaningful, useful video conversations with clients, 
and age is not really a barrier. You know, some of my older clients are, are really up on tech and have iPads and, you know, do all their shopping and we're quite happy to have, you know, little Zoom catch-ups where they can see you. It's much more engaging. It's much more personal. And it's, you know, you, you're so much better for keeping on top of things quarterly as opposed to one random one-off meeting, you know, where you don't really get to the bedrooms of things. So, yeah, tech has definitely helped, although... I do think there are there is a lot of information online. Yeah. <laughs> information, being able to really absorb and apply said information to your specific financial circumstances, is really so difficult, and that's why I believe that the future of financial financial advice remains face to face. It remains people to people, and you know, as much as people talk about robo investing and whatever, I, the, nothing replaces this. For my clients, I, I think it's invaluable. Yeah, definitely. No, totally agree. Um, just finally, then, um, I wanted to ask what would be your main piece of advice to an advisor supporting a client in vulnerable circumstances? Maybe go Zoe first. Yeah, I think it's all about listening and it's about education and it's about raising awareness and making things really normal you know being a little bit vulnerable yourself being open to you know to talking about a time where you felt a bit out of your depth in one way or another or you felt like you had not been sort of listened to or treated fairly you know if I think back uh, you know there has been times where I've been vulnerable you know when I was young I was 18 I, I bought my first house and we you know we sat with a mortgage advisor and we had absolutely no idea what we were talking about at the time. You know, we were, we were fresh and naive and new. And I remember clearly he said to me, um, what would you think if you if your mortgage went up? And we'd said, oh, that sounds awful. So he said, right, we're going to fix you into a fixed rate. And we went, yeah, sure. And as it as it turned out, we ended up with, you know, a five-year really sky-high interest rate that we were fixed into. And, you know, the interest rates did nothing but drop and drop. And in hindsight, I can see how he came to the decision because he'd asked us a question. We answered a certain way. You know, he did a certain thing. And, and we were quite vulnerable. We were very inexperienced. We, you know, <laughs> no idea what he was talking about most of the time. Yeah. We we were too naive to ask. You know, we, we didn't mm. want to look stupid. So we just went, yeah, sure. Please give me a house. <laughs> you know, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, and in hindsight, we were quite vulnerable. But he did his job because he gave us the product that was suitable for the answer that I gave we didn't really understand the implications of the answer we gave you know and even advice can can go wrong because you haven't sort of recognized that somebody's given you a an emotional answer to a financial question and the product you have given them may not be the right product if if we do sat and explained what that means that you know if you have a variable rate for the five first five years you will pay x amount and these are the parameters it could go up by compared to you know a fixed rate at this amount whatever yeah we'd have had a lot more information to make an informed decision with that would have been more appropriate to our circumstances. As it turned out, we were locked into a, a five-year agreement that, you know, a naive, inexperienced people didn't really understand or dare ask about. So we have all been there. And by us sharing these experiences and being a bit vulnerable, clients are much more likely to entrust you with their situations and then you can actually help. You can add so much value. You can make their world so much better. So, yes, I think if um, if there's one thing I've learned, it's to listen and to 
make everything as normal and approachable um, and talkable <laughs> as possible. <laughs> Great, perfect. Thank you. Um, Hannah, yeah. did you have? Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree. You know, I don't think being compassionate and empathetic is ever going to be a bad thing is it and and I guess you know there are some you know really standardized obvious responses for your client more often which Zoe's obviously already talked about you know check in with them more regularly than just the sort of basic you know 12 month review mm. if somebody's struggling to read documents because they're in a tiny size eight arrange for them to have it you know printed in a size 12 or above something like that it seems you know simple and obvious there are some situations that can be far more complex and it might not be you know initially really obvious to you as a financial advisor and in, in how to support your client and in that situation I would say to them you know either you know I totally understand what you're going through I've you know I've been through something similar myself or actually admit you know I can't imagine how that's impacting you and ask them, is there anything I can do that will make your life a little bit easier at the moment and see what their response is. Let them lead it. You know, they might, they might be so, um, you know, in, in, in a state of sort of panic or distress or just have that kind of general mind fog. If, if what they're going through is really difficult that they, that they don't know, but you've asked them and you've given them the opportunity, or they might really, you know, clearly know what they need from you to help them, but they didn't know how to bring it up. And you've opened up that conversation um, really easily for them. Yeah, definitely. Great. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you both so much for talking to me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Good. <laughs> You're very welcome. And yeah, thank you very much. No problem at all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast on client vulnerability. You can listen to all our other podcasts on the Money Marketing website, as well as Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, keep up to date with all the latest news and features on our website. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok.